Welcome to Impact and Freedom with your host, Jason Feldman. All right, this is a special one. Welcome to Impact and Freedom. I'm Jason Feldman, and today I have uh, the incredible guest, uh, Danny Singson here, founder of Extreme One Financial and Coaching, helping financial agents go from zero to 50,000 a month. Wow, fantastic. And and Danny and I had an awesome conversation last week and we're like, dude, I, I gotta get you on the podcast. So welcome, Danny. Thank you so much for, for showing up today. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, uh, feelings mutual, feelings mutual. We just had this, like this kind of feel good connection of souls kind of conversation. Yeah, uh, so much in common, and we probably could have gone a, a couple more hours, you know, <laughs> chatting. For real, my pleasure, pleasure being here, and um, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, so so um, it's funny because because I found you on Instagram. You you're right around a hundred thousand yeah. followers on Instagram, and yeah. you're in the financial space. I'm in, uh, you know, I I have a, a, a insurance agency, so we yeah. have that in common. And then yeah. you're doing coaching now, and yeah, Man, you're you're really um, everything that you're doing is really like skyrocketing. But it wasn't always that way. Uh, yeah, you had what most would consider the dream job, and you yeah. kind of took a left turn. So I'd like to go all the totally. way back in that story, like how how you grew up and and what got yeah, you, what got you going? Yeah, for sure. It, you know, it's an interesting story. Um, I. When you and I were talking, um, it, it, again, we quickly just kind of gelled, gelled in our mindset, in our in our outlook, in 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 growth. We both had kind of turbulence and you know um, wrenches thrown in the you know in, in the plan. Um, but for me, growing up, man. By the way, I'm I'm from uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, um, born and raised. And uh, you know, this is this is the bubble that I grew up in over here, where. A million bucks buys you a, a closet, you know, a, a garage. <laughs> so, um, but I grew up here ever since like really being a kid. I uh, I dreamt of as as far back as I can remember. I dreamt of being, I dreamt of being uh, in law enforcement. I dreamt of being a cop um, because I just I kind of looked at them as if like a figure of like that. It's the closest thing of being like Batman or like a superhero or you know or you know, I'm not talking about the bad apples, right? That 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 the media now publicizes in recent right. times, but I'm just talking about the the core, the core true uh, uh, root feeling of wanting to help others, right? Yep. So I grew up, and I was the only guy that wanted to do that in my entire family. So I was like the, I was like the black sheep, you know, and I'm the only son of and my mother. So my, my my father passed away, and I was very very young. So. I, I, you know, I, I'm like the cherished only son from my mom. Um, and I always watched my mom really just working her butt off. Um, she's in the, she was in the, uh, the, the hairdressing salon industry, just grinding. There's no, there's no vacations. There was no, none of that. Um, so I didn't really appreciate her grind and, you know, her hard work and dedication until I got older and started to look back and go, damn, mom really took care of us. Um, but I guess the way I, I attributed to me paying paying that back to her was also being the person that could maybe protect her and you know those around me. And the only way that I really felt strongly about was going into law enforcement. So 
law enforcement for me, it was this journey of as far back as I can remember uh, being a kid, I was the guy that were, was wearing the um, the costumes with, you know, like you know, I just, you know, I just wanted to be, I wanted to be a cop just really so I can make a difference. Um, and I just, want you, to do? Uh, you know, I don't really know what she wanted me to do. She definitely didn't want to be, she did she definitely didn't want me to get into law enforcement. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, does, right? no, cause she didn't want to be that mom that, you know, got that, you know, call in the middle of the night with some bad news. Right. Um, but oddly enough, I learned that that wasn't something that I really worried about. I knew it was, you know, that was people around me that cared about me and loved me. That's something that they think about. But I'm more of that guy that, you know, I'm a hard charger and that was in my DNA. So anyways, um, I remember starting my career very early. I was 20 years old going to the academy. I was the youngest kid in the academy. Um, and I got a lot of shit for it. You know, I got a lot of... Uh, teasing like, Oh, you're the youngest kid here. I'm like, well, okay. Well, I mean, whatever. Right. So a lot of hazing going on, but, um, I just remember that I had to grow up very, very quick, man. You know, I realized that I might have, uh, entered into a profession where I was sorely, um, inexperienced in life and also in skill set with, in regards to communication, talking with people. I mean, I mean, how much, I mean, how much skill and experience do you have at 20 years old? You know, um, right. I, I wasn't like an exception to the rule. I, you know, I was a normal boy. Um, but I want to say it about, you know, uh, when, when I finally did get hired, I mean, it was the biggest thing in the world to me. I thought in my, for sure, Jason, I would be like a lifer. I, I, you know, I would, I would go all the way and this was it. This was my life. This was not only my job, but it was my identity, you know, um, which is which is a weird thing because now in this, when when I think about that question, what is it you know you know who who is Danny Sinkson who you know who is Jason, I don't really associate that based on what it is that I do, but it really is how I want to live, right? Yep. Um, because how I want to live really kind of reverse engineering that how you want to live really dictates what you have to do, and which is something that I start to learn in my career. Um, I really loved it. I was good at it. Um. I excelled in the ranks, got promoted very, very young. And, um, you know, I was on the motorcycle, like I promoted to an FTO, which is what they call a field training officer. So I was training other cops to do the job. And I, I actually ended up being one of the, the X-Men, the, the X-Men, if you will, or X-Men. Um, I was the deciding trainer that would, you know, basically say, Hey, you, you're good to go or you're, you're done. I was that guy. Um, and I was, I was very passionate about that because if I couldn't, um, if I couldn't rely on them to really protect me, my life, then that was it. Um, so moving forward in my career, I, I did a whole bunch of things. I got promoted. I was a sergeant. I was in, in charge of a patrol shift, working nights. I've seen all the ugly, the ugliness of life, and people, the lowest of the lows. And um, after about maybe 12, 15 years, as I mentioned to you when we when we first chatted. It just became a long ass job. Mm. And um, I basically looked at the end of the rainbow, so to speak. Uh, and I thought to myself, damn, if, if that's going to be me, then no thank you. Like, I don't want to be like that. And what I mean by that is, it's not that, that it, the profession wasn't noble and the cause wasn't you know worthy of defending others. It's just that the lifestyle that someone had at the end of the career path, I didn't like. 
I was a big dreamer. I was always very ambitious um, for myself. I wanted more out of life and my goals and my dreams were way bigger than my paycheck. And so, um, yeah, so that's kind of the beginning of my career path as an adult, if you will. Yeah. And a couple things, uh, you know, kind of, kind of jumped out at me when we had our other conversation was, um, kind of the mentality, uh, that, that was yeah. in there of, you know, not really liking the job and everybody kind of being like, ah, eh, whatever, like, uh, yeah. like that, not having that attitude of, oh, we get to serve or, or, you know, sure. being excited. I, that, yeah. that was one of the things that jumped out at me. And the, the other one was, um, oh, what was it? Um, it was really the, the kind of like the, the end goal kind of what yeah. you're just saying, yeah. but like, um, you know, the whole, the whole retirement and, sure. uh, oh, expecting to work crazy hours. Can yeah. You, yeah. 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 So, you know, uh, most guys in law enforcement, um, especially if you're working the streets and patrol, you're working shift hours, you know, depending on the agency you're with, um, it's pretty common to work 12 hour shifts, um, uh, whether it's days or nights or swings or whatever. So 12 hour shifts, four days a week. So I was working about, you know, 50 ish hours. And then on my days off, it didn't stop. It didn't, it, um, training and development and required, you know, kind of, um, ongoing education stuff and certifications had to continue, um, despite your hours of working. So on my days off, I would have to go to range, um, to be, you know, proficient in firearms. You know, there's always a, a range kind of standard for shooting, uh, there was defensive tactics, you know, there was, uh, um, um, uh, active shooter types of trainings there, there was court, there was all kinds of things, right? So even if I wanted to have a life and moonlight outside, you could, but it, it, it just, it, the, the, the job always got in the way of my goals, yeah. <laughs> you know? So crazy. What, yeah. what, what were you saying? Yeah. It's like that, the average, like, um, uh, hours a week? Um, I would say on average, maybe like 50 to 60 on average. And then that doesn't include like mandatory overtime type of thing where you're kind of like voluntold because <laughs> um, like system, like, like systemically, I, I think just, especially here in the Bay area, I think staffing has always been an issue and it, it you know, to, to, to regenerate or replenish new staffing has always been a challenge. So basically the, the people that are already working, just, they, they just shoulder the, 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 the burden. And so whether you wanted to or not, th that was it. Like you would have to pick up another like 24 hours or 36 hours in addition to what you were, what you were working. Um, and it was just a nonstop kind of thing. Like you, you can't really, you couldn't, it's very difficult to escape it. Um, mentally of course because you had to really stay sharp it's for your own safety and on top of the actual work work as you're out there interacting with people um it was behind the scenes stuff that would be really really grueling with uh, report writing filing cases and going to court and doing all that stuff right so wow. um don't get me wrong i loved it it was just you know i felt good about it very prideful about it um but what, the things i didn't like were the kind of the toxic mentalities. Um, and a lot of that cynicism 
goes hand in hand with the profession. And I'm not knocking it because you almost have to realize and understand you have to be a little callous to endure the things and experience the things that you know you experience. I mean, you can go from one accident scene to where you see mangled bodies to a murder scene where you see like death and blood and to, you know, then to putting on another hat and, you know, and, and, and talk to a, um, a, a, a kid, a little kid at school that just wants a sticker from you. You know, I mean, it, there's so many things that you have to kind of juggle and stay stoic and poised. And over time that takes, that takes a, um, that takes a toll, whether you're used to it or not. And I was absolutely used to it. Um, physiology, uh, uh, like physically what happens to our bodies is, um, is it, it takes a toll. And that's why you know, cops in general and public safety, um, they endure this stress, even though they're used to it. It is not something that the body, it, it's not healthy for the body long-term, which is why, you know, guys in my profession don't generally live as long. Mm. Right. So yeah. I, I really looked at that. I was like, damn, you know, man, like when you say giving your life up, right. Uh, it may not, it may not be you getting shot on duty. It's just, you're maybe shortening your life ex expectancy and this time on earth with your loved ones because of that compounding, you know, um, toxic things that happen to your body. You get beat up, you know, physically, mentally, psychologically, the whole nine yards. That's yeah. brutal. And you were there for a long time. You yeah. worked your way up to sergeant. Yep. Which, I mean, that's like, uh, like that, that would be the pinnacle, right? Like that's what everybody wants to be. When yeah. Uh, you know, for me, like, look, it was, um, I was always very big leadership guy and it wasn't just for the rank or the status. It was, I genuinely felt that I had purpose to serve as a sergeant that had, you know, some say so in operations over the field of officers because my standards were high. My standards were high to do the right thing, act with integrity, treat people right with respect you know, all, all the stuff that, um, you know, people don't talk about, um, you know, um, because there are a lot of good apples that want to do right by people and represent the community in the most, in the, in the most ethical and with the most highest integrity. So yeah, no, I was really big on leadership and I, I really gelled into that role very well. So I raised the standards of service, if you will, um, with the patrol team that I was, you know, in charge of. Um, but I wanted to go all the way, man. I wanted to go, I wanted to be, I wanted to be chief, you know, and, and I was being groomed to be like the next commander at one point in my career. And I was actually kind of given the, 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 the shoulder tap at one point to test for the position, which I did. Um, I didn't want it, but I tested for it and I had the aptitude, the ability, the, either the, the, I guess the poise and the, um, I guess the skill set at the time to be able to flex in my role but I didn't want to rob myself from the experience of just still being on the street serving, you know, uh, on the front line with, with, the, with the guys. So I, I could have had that opportunity if I really pursued it. Um, but I didn't want to shortchange my, my experience. So I wanted to, I wanted to kind of earn my, um, earn the right, you know, I wanted to earn my stripes, if you will. <laughs> totally. That is awesome. Yeah. Super, yeah. super cool. Um, especially yeah. being, going from being a kid where, I mean, every kid wants to be, a superhero. Every kid thinks yeah. about being a police officer or fireman. fireman. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, so, oh. so what, so you're 12, 15 years in and you're yep. just, you're just, you kind of 
had this feeling that you were meant for more, man. Yeah, yeah, that's the truth, man. Um, you nailed it. I, I really believe still to this very day that I was put on this earth. God put me on this earth to serve in a higher capacity. And I think that he showed me what I'm capable of and what I can endure. I, I have a high tolerance for pain and stress. And I think that profession uh, groomed me, right, to, I guess, to see bigger and bigger, greater things in, in the in the interest of service. You know, so um, for me, I just, I, I wanted more. I wanted to learn more. I didn't like to just constantly stay in my bubble. Um, and what the funny thing is, is I got into real estate, man. I got into real estate as a full-time cop and I literally would put on a hat totally different. I would get suited up and like everyone, again, you kind of have, it's almost this paramilitary kind of vibe. Like you're one of the dudes, you're one of the guys, you, you know, you, um, and, and to do or, and explore things outside of your profession was already kind of like frowned upon. Right. It was like, dude, what are you doing, man? You know, and I would be like, I want to get into real estate. I want to learn more about business, money, you know, anything that put myself outside of that bubble. I wanted to learn. And the funny thing, the funny thing is, man, when I got into real estate sales, I was just doing uh, residential sales here in the Bay Area. I got really good at it, and I didn't realize that I came with a bag of skills that helped me out when it came to dealing with people. So the skills that I took for granted in my own career was completely celebrated and highlighted in a business and sales environment because I was quickly able to read people. I would be able to either escalate, de-escalate a conversation. I, I, I had, um, <laughs> I had really groomed and um, worked highly on my persuasive skills. Mind you, I came from you know position where part of the job was interview and interrogation, right? <laughs> so I mean. You may not like that. Someone that's listening to this, you might not be like, oh, he's manipulating, you know. Hey, it's the power of persuasiveness. Um, and it, the way I saw it, it you know, it being in my in my shoes, you know, wearing the boots and the, and, and the gun belt and all that, I'd rather use this tool than to use anything on my belt mm. to diffuse and, and fix, a, 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 um, to provide a solution to a problem. Because if I don't have to go to guns, literally, I'm not gonna. Yeah. And so I learned that the art of language, communication, and the way we influence others to do things that not only are are in the best interest of uh, of ourselves, but for them too. Mm. You know, and I remember getting into real estate. I was like, "Ooh, man, this is this is fun. This is this is fun." Like, damn. So yeah, I I, um, I got into real estate and I, I really loved it. I, I um and I and I didn't think that I could really. I, I dreamt of like, oh, maybe this could replace the law enforcement career and salary. Um, maybe possibly. Um, and it, you know, in the Bay Area, um, I was probably earning about maybe you know just be full transparency because in the Bay Area, people don't have an idea of like the salaries and the range of income that one can earn as um you know, as full-time law enforcement. And most of our guys and colleagues were earning probably like 150, 160, 170-ish, right around there. Mm. Um, and a lot of people don't really realize you can earn six figures or multiple six figures uh, in law enforcement, especially with overtime. Um, but that's all relative to where you live, right? I mean, right. highest paid kind of agencies, but in the highest cost of living area. Um, 
And I was able to really uh, make some dents in real estate sales. But I thought to myself, would I ever leave my job for this? Dude, I didn't even think for a million in a million years that I would ever do that for real estate. Um, and I didn't. I kept, I kept doing real estate and eventually it was like, all right, this is cool moonlighting stuff, you know, to earn some earn some extra extra cash yeah. doing something outside of my job and signing up for overtime, you know. So yeah. Yeah. So that was uh, that was my first Yeah, you got the sales. What was that? You got the sales. I did. So, so I what, did. Man. How did you get into your next thing? Yeah. So I want to say this was, gosh, this is back in 2013 ish. I was, um, I was really analyzing the, the business of real estate sales and being like the super agent, you know, I was, I was the guy that was watching like million dollar listing TV shows. Right. Um, and just like looking at that stuff, like, Ooh, I can be that, 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 that kind of realtor. Um, but what I hated about, I, I still love real estate, but what I hated about like the, the, I guess the business model, if you will, is that you're for most circumstances, you're, you're really as only as good as your last sale. Yep. And, and there was really no, no way in that model to kind of build a business, if you will. Right. It was, uh, or a book of business that had some kind of longevity, um, where eventually possibly maybe you could one day exit. Uh, and I didn't see that there. Right. And it was, most people were, you know, pretty much starving between sales, right? Like escrow to escrow. And I, and I thought to myself like, damn, this is, thank God I had a full-time job at the time. Um, I didn't see, I didn't see how someone could really, you know, turn this on. And, and, and I know there's a ton of sexual, uh, successful realtors out there and, and real estate guys in sales and they're killing it. And I've always like really admired that. I still do. I really do. Um, so I transitioned because a, a good friend of mine at the time, you know, knew that I was just kind of a go-getter, pretty ambitious, want to, you know, really learn more about business, money in general. Um, and he, I guess you could say he recruited me into an agency, um, uh, and and I won't say the names, but um, he recruited to me a well-known larger agency that's that has um, more of kind of a, and you probably know how, what I'm talking about. It has more of a kind of a recruiting vibe, if you will, uh, to it. Um, but there's a lot of you know uh, things that you I got out of it, right? I was introduced to the world of finance, insurance, retirement, just in general, things that you and I will never learn in school, like ever. Right. Right. Um, so that really opened my eyes. And I, that bug that you were talking about, I got hooked again. I was like, yeah. damn, this, you know, I like this better. I like this better than real estate. And I saw that if I was eating only you know, uh, if I was eating only periodically when it came to income and real estate, I was constantly eating, you know, in the world of insurance and finance, you know, um, because this was something that, you know, for example, I always looked at it this way. If you put a hundred guys or gals in a room of people that weren't buying or selling real estate and I was in real estate, what do you talk to them about after that? Nothing. Right. But right. when it came, if you put, if you put me in a room with the skill set, the license, the specialty that I have, you know, that I have now, 
and you're talking to the same hundred people that weren't buying or selling real estate, but now you can talk to them and open a lot of more, a lot more conversations and doors. And you can talk to them about, you know, their savings, right? What their plans for the future are, retirement, how they're saving money, how they're, you know, how they're streamlining or becoming more efficient to eliminate risk or fees and taxes, things like that. These are things that people naturally want to know more about. And, you know, I've evolved massively since then, but I was just kind of figuring this thing out. And, you know, I, I hit up all my closest friends, family, and I realized that not everyone was the biggest supporter of me, you know? <laughs> um, um, but I got really good very quickly. Early on, I, I leveraged the same skill sets and, and knew exactly where I needed to develop to, to improve my language, my communication, my persuasiveness, same stuff, different platform now. And away we went, man, three years, um, I think three years into that three, yeah, maybe three years into that. Um, this is only like 2016, that, that, that moment where I was like, wow, um, I really want to leave my job and I believe that I actually can. Because at that time, Jason, I was, um, you know, I was able to actually match. That was my first benchmark. Can I match my income? So can I prove to myself that I, I can, I can actually do and earn the income that I'm, you know, at my, that I'm earning at my full-time job. And, and I proved that to myself. And then when I hit another benchmark of, you know, um, nearly doubling the income on the side, I was like, it's different, man. You know, so if anyone watches this as in law enforcement, I'm not, this is me not disparaging, you know, <laughs> my profession at all. I'm very proud of my, 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 uh, my background. Um, but it, but I, I was mean, going to work with that, that even, that's even more true because you were making twice as much on the side and you stayed yeah. at your job. So like, yes, that I did is a huge testament to, to how dedicated you were. To, to I was, yeah. 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 I, it, it was even then, it, not even in a million years, I was like, no way I'm going to leave. There's no way I'm going to leave. There's no way. Like this is everything that I've, you know, built myself up to, to get into. Um, you know, despite the politics, despite, you know, the, the little, the little, uh, every, every, every profession has like politics and negatives, but despite all that, it was a very big part of my identity. And I was like, there's just no way I'm going to just ever leave this. Why would I do that? Until I started to mature in the things that I actually wanted, you know? So, um, I realized that the things that I wanted to I guess grow into was was never possible there. The things that I wanted in my life was never going to be possible doing what I was doing. So if that was if that was the case, I kept telling myself, this is never going to happen doing this. It's never going to happen doing this. I just told myself that long enough and as and very frequently. And I just realized, okay, I guess I'm just gonna have to. And then at one point, I think this is a story I told you. I called um I called I called mom. Yeah. At two in the morning, like it was like one or two in the morning. So it's just an odd hour, right? And this is when I like almost gave my mom a heart attack. And I, and I was, I remember I was, cause I worked nights. I was working nights um, at the time on shift out in the street. And I went to the back of the station and it was a, it was kind of a quiet time of night uh, that day. And I just, I, I called mom. She's like, hello. And I'm like, hey mom. And you know, she's like, yeah. it's really okay. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Everything, you know, it didn't, it didn't occur to me like, oh yeah, uh, I'm on duty and I'm, 
calling mom at two in the morning. She can be freaked out. Didn't even think about that. But I called her for a different reason. And I called her and I told her, hey, go, hey, mom, I said, uh, you know, I think I want to leave my job. I think I want to leave my career. And I was very emotional and like reserved about it. I was like, I think I, I think it's time. I want, I think I, I can't see myself doing this anymore. My heart's not here anymore. And I thought every ounce in my soul thought that mom was going to be upset and disapproving of it. Right. And not that I needed her permission, but I just, I don't know what I was looking for. I just, I just wanted to tell her. And, uh, and I did. And she told me, she goes, you know what? Um, you know, you, you always know what you wanted and you always do good at what you want. And if that's what you feel, then go ahead, you know, do it. And I just couldn't believe my mom, like I'm half Chinese, half Filipino, man. Like my, this is my mom and my Chinese side. She's, she's a very traditional, hardcore, will talk shit to you. Like yeah. literally like just be just harsh, you know, and very blunt. Um, and this time she was oddly very supportive and very nurturing, which is actually out of character for her. <laughs> okay. Um, but she did. And I don't know if that's what I needed to hear, man, but apparently it was because I want to say within the month, I think it was like no more than a month or two later after that, I officially, you know, resigned from my position and I basically coined it as an early retirement, if you will. The department, get this, man, the department didn't even know what to do with me. They're like, well, what is uh, you're not retired. I'm like, I, I don't really know if I'm retired, but I'm vested so I can honorably retire just because I'm not the age to collect a pension. It doesn't mean that I can't voluntarily retire, <laughs> right? So I, they're like, I, 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 guess, I guess like they literally didn't know what to say to me because no one has ever, ever done that in the history of the department, like willingly not, uh, not associated with like a medical type of retirement, just voluntarily, like I'm on my own accord. I'm going to retire early. Thank you. <laughs> and they were like, I don't, what, you know, like, I don't get it. You know, um, That's wild. you know, so when I say honorably retire, you know, that all comes with the same distinguishing, you know, attributes of someone that's honorably retired, right? They get to, they get to be retired, their badge, their, um, they get to still carry concealed. They still have the rights to, you know, anyways, like a, like a retiree, they didn't know how to treat me, you know? So yeah, that was, um, I left, man. I was like, I just remember like a week, a week or two afterwards, after that happened, after I finally left, I remember waking up like, oh, <laughs> I don't have a job. I'm like, oh my god, uh, you know, I, I I don't have a job, um, and 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 I didn't really know how to have that 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 rhythm, yeah, of being your own boss. You know what I mean? Like, I just, you know, in fact, I look back and I think it was easier just to show up on autopilot and not have to think about anything else. Now, when you're uh, when you're your own boss and you're running your own company, you know, or multiple companies. Um, every day you're obsessed with all the to do's and what you, and there's not enough time in a day to do all the things that you really need to do. Right. Right. So I, I used to, as an employee, I used to, you know, 
working my career. I used to look at the clock and I used to look at the clock, Jason. And I was like, damn, man, there's like eight hours left. Oh God. Oh, there's eight hours left. And now I look at the clock. I'm like, oh my gosh, I only have eight hours left. <laughs> it, it's, it's a different, it's reversed. Dude, that is, yeah. isn't that the, that should be the thermometer for what you're doing. Like, like what you were born to do, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. I remember feeling like that all growing up. And when I, every time I, I mean, anybody that I've ever worked for, it was always watching the clock. And then finally, when I was working for myself and, and building myself, it was, it's always been like, damn, I don't have enough time. Like, oh, I have to go yeah. home. I mean, I love going home on one, on, you know, on some level, of course, you know, but I mean, there's the work, there's so much to get done. There's, and it doesn't matter how far you get. There's always so much yeah. to get done. So, look at your light. Look at the license plate you have behind you. Look at the license plate. It says out of time. Out of time. <laughs> That's right. That's actually from right? uh, Back to the Future. Oh, okay, yeah, but I mean, that's 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 essentially, yeah, yeah. that's essentially, you know, how your brain is rewired. Yep, hundred percent. You said a, something earlier that just got brought up again, which is identity. So, like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, my my mom was in the Junior Olympics and taught aerobics her whole life, and then as she got older, um, she wasn't able to do some of the tricks and stuff that that she was able to do. At, as she was when she was younger. And she always said that when she she'd be doing um, backhand springs at, at 80 and as she's getting up to, uh, you know, close to 70, she's not able to do that. And I, I know for her, it's been tough because she's had surgeries on her hips and her knees, that identity, that identity that we have, that we're this person. And without that, we feel less is such a huge thing. And you see it in sports players. Uh, I used to play yeah. music, play drums, and I was always the drummer. So, you know, even when I wanted to get like a real job and started doing that stuff, I was always the drummer. So that was my identity. So it was hard to pour yeah. into anything else. And so I just see yeah. this theme coming up. But what was really interesting about that is, uh, you know, when you, you said, you know, it's easier to show up at work on autopilot, mm -hmm. easier to do that right. than to just cut it off. Right. Because I, I, you know, you still had that identity to, to some, some extent. Yeah. Even to this day, that identity hasn't left me. I still see the world the way I did for 19 years in law enforcement differently than any human being that wasn't in the same profession. And it's not like, I'm better or, you know, anything like that. It's just a different perspective. Like I have like muscle memory, innate things that are now a part of me, how I respond to things, how I react to things. Just all of that is still in me. Like I'm the guy, if I hear, you know, some commotion, like I don't care where I'm at. Like I'm the guy that like looks around and I'm like, I'm assessing what, what's happening and I'm like figuring out, okay, what's my plan of attack? How do I take out the threat? Like how do I – how do I do that? And I've applied a lot of that, that kind of, you know, innate things that are wired into me now into business. Mm. And I think that's been the most serving really. Super cool. So yeah. now how are we going into this new identity of, of, yeah. um, 
you know, you're, you're, you're now not having to show up. You're doing what you're doing on the side, but now it's full time. So now you're, how, how is that shift? Oh, um, I can't really even think of now being on someone else's time. And I think that just, I just think that life is too precious and it's too short for us to waste any of it. And that's why I have this great sense of urgency to do as many things as possible, you know, as quickly as possible. We, 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 I think we struggle. I think, you know, you know, the old saying is like, oh, enjoy the journey. Like, okay. We talked about this. Like, I don't think I'll ever be done. You know, I'm like, you know, once you hit a benchmark, you're like, okay, okay, now what? What's next? Right. Like I'm, I'm, that's totally me. Like uh, I I hit benchmarks and then whatever that benchmark is, whatever it, whether it's an achievement personally, whether it's income, whether it's whatever it's now I hit that benchmark. Now I, I guess almost obsessively that, 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 that new benchmark that you're supposed to be excited about becomes like the new minimum standard moving forward. Now you're like, okay, so I'm here now. And, uh, uh, okay. So this is now the minimum, you know, I, and I, I was thinking about, you know, philosophically wise, it's, I think life is not about what you're ambitious for. It's not about, you know, that, that those are the things that we want. Those are things that we like. I think now more so life is more, is a reflection of your standards. Mm. Um, and what, what it is that you will refuse, refuse to not go beneath. So it's like, Think about the, the 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 kind of person that you want to be around, that you want to glean from, or learn from, or be mentored by. In a sense, do you want someone? Do you want someone that that's maybe mentoring you that goes, "Yeah, I want to, I want this, I want that, I want, you know, I want this kind of lifestyle." Okay, no problem. Um, that doesn't that doesn't um, that doesn't give you a lot of uh, uh, that doesn't compel you with a lot of sense of urgency versus someone who says, "Hey, Jason, I refuse." I refuse to make six fig- less than six figures a year or less than six figures a month. I refuse. So you're like, wow, this guy refuses to earn that, you know, less than that. Well, then what are the standards? What are his minimum requirements? Yeah. Right? So it's a different way of looking. Ambition versus, um, you know, versus uh, your standards. And I just I have a lot of things that I refuse to fall back on. That's yeah. kind of how I see how I live my life now. And it's, you know, this, I know, you know, this, it can be a very lonely headspace yeah. up here to live like that. Right. Because yeah. not everyone is, you and I might meet, meet each other at a party or an event and we're like, Hey, what's up, man. But internally we're like beasts. We're like, mm, like, you know, like, yeah. you know, like we're, we're always in conquer the world mode up here. And that's, I get it. Trust me, I understand. That's sometimes to the to the normal, you know, person, it, it, it can be a little off putting. It can be like you're not present, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yep, hundred yeah. percent. And what you yep. were talking about that that like minimum threshold, um, yeah, like your standards. Uh, it reminds me of something that my mother in law said. Now this is totally off, but um, she says that your kids will only do what you're willing to put up with. And I thought, wow, that's like very relatable to everything in life, right? That minimum standard, yeah. that that threshold. And then um, I read in a book uh, by Ben Hardy, it's, I think it's Be Your Future Self Now. He talks about mm-hmm. your floor and your ceiling. 
And everybody thinks that it's the ceiling. Like you got to, you know, that's that cheese, that thing that you're trying to get, but you have these like minimum standards. It's like this floor that, right. that, uh, that you're anything below that you're just, you won't accept, you won't accept. So like you kind of stay in the middle between your, you know, your ceiling and your floor. And so you're always hovering there and it's not always raising the ceiling, but you also have to raise the floor. And so I love that you brought right. that up because it's, it's that your, yeah. your floor keeps getting raised and you're like, no, nope, yes. not going backwards. So you become your own worst, like competitor, your own best competitor, your own, you know, worst enemy, I guess, depending on how you look at it. Right. It's, yeah. you know, it, it's one thing to achieve a certain benchmark, but it's another level of mentality and effort to maintain it and then constantly yeah. improve it. hundred percent. And then when you totally. go backwards because it's not linear there's always going to be a time that it, you know yeah it's it, yeah, i mean it's painful <laughs> it's painful to like it, yeah yeah it, it is you know but i think the pain is you know what we all assess to a degree yeah. to determine whether or not it's worth the reward right and i think that if you're in if you're an achiever i think that um part of just how you're wired is it's just that you're, you have pain and then you hit it. It's a, wow, that that's this big shot of dopamine. And it's like the sense of achievement and accomplishment. And then it's like on to the next, right? It's yeah. so, um, you know, and I think that what drives business now, Jason is, is, is that what you were saying is always raising the floor. Right. And that has a lot to do with how the company started and, you know, what we specialize in now. And that's really the essence. I'm glad you mentioned that because it's really the essence of how I view uh, our business and how we train others and what we expect minimally, right? Because the ultimate is we want to serve the the, the the larger, you know, population to um, really be served with the highest level of integrity and ethics. And it, you don't just, you don't just arrive at that. It takes a lot of dedication, commitment, and a level of standards in which someone prepares themselves to be able to deliver that. You can't just deliver shit to someone. Um, you know, it, it, that's a default. You're going to deliver crap to someone if you yourself aren't, you know, coming to up, you know, coming up to the, you know, coming up to the plate with a higher standard uh, of delivery. So 100%. That's really the root the root of it. I would love to get into your stories now of how yeah. you yeah. yeah, how you got into um doing extreme one and and I really want to get into talking about that minimum standard of just how you look at your team, a lean team sure. of assassins. I think you said, uh, yeah. Ninja assassins. Yeah. I love it. I love it. But, uh, <laughs> definitely talks about, yeah. I mean, that goes to show your floor, your floor is real high. So, um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. How did that, how did that, how did extreme one come about? Yeah, you know, this is something that I also this is now has shifted to become the kind of the a newer evolution of my identity, right? Extreme one is 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 a reflection of not just who we are or the company mission. It's it it's really a reflection of of you know of who I am and the standards that w in which we operate. So. Um, like I mentioned, I think I might have glazed on it, but um, getting into this in, into the insurance and financial industry, I got into um, one larger company 
And um, uh, to no fault against the company, I just looked around and I'm like, mm, you know, number one, I don't know if this is the culture that's going to serve, you know, me and kind of the standards that I'm that I'm living by, the values and 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 all of that. But um, there were some kind of interpersonal stuff, politics that were happening that I didn't really see eye to eye with. And so ultimately I moved. Um, by the way, Extreme One uh, at the time started off as a team type of identity, right? For me to be separated within a company, right? It was like a little company within the company. Um, and now it's evolved, you know, from a from a team to an actual company. But um, the uh, those that that perspective when I left that agency, I went to another larger, well known agency, and. I just wanted a place to hang my license, bro. Uh, and so I was like, man, I need I needed to really continue business and survive. And then ultimately what I was focusing on, and I look back now, I was focusing on all kind of the wrong things. I was focusing on all the surface superficial things that really did make any, it, it didn't matter at all when it comes to earning income, to raising your skill, to improving upon your identity. None of that mattered. It was all really designed to bring and raise revenue for company. And if you understand the business model, and by the way, it's not a bad business model, but you know, like I mentioned that I was recruited into a company. Let me piggyback on that, right? This, this, the next company I, I got recruited into, um, I really enjoyed my time there because I saw a lot of things that I liked, but I also saw a lot of things that I didn't like. And this is not pertaining to any one individual or any persons um, that I'm, I'm even thinking about. It's really the culture. Mm. And what I what I started to realize is that I didn't like having to defend my good name, my reputation, and whether or not like what I was doing was legit. I hated that. You, you have to understand, coming from law enforcement, like no one questioned like, you know, like, are you for real? Like, like dude, I'm on your front door. Um, um, that means someone called 911 and I'm, I'm for real. Like, you yeah. know, like <laughs> if you were questioning my good name, my reputation, like my, 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 my existence, you were, it was like a personal thing. And I had to endure that, you know, more so now than ever, because, and this might be a little bit sensitive and controversial, but, um, you know, the, the culture of that particular agency more so than the previous one was all about like having a, like a recruiting identity. And, and I'm not saying that that's a bad model, but a lot of people would, would want to build a team and, and, and recruit people brand new to the industry to just come in and, you know, maybe utilize the platform as an opportunity to do what I was doing as a side hustle initially. Right. And I respect that, but when people focus on that out of order, Jason, when they focus on, hey, let's do that. Let's get everyone on board. It's, it's almost like, you know, it, it's kind of a, like an MLM like model, but more so it's more of an MLM culture. What do I mean by that? MLM model is just, it's kind of like your typical, like your your network marketing type of thing, right? You You spread distribution of services and products through a network of people that you bring on. And, you know, there's an, there's an override, you know, hierarchy and structure, you know, similar to that, but more so, and I think what's more damaging is not just that, because the model is the model. It's, it's neither good or bad. It just depends on your perspective. Um, and that's, that's a legitimate model, but it's the, it's kind of the MLM culture that I didn't really want to identify with because it was, it was, 
it was really damaging what I felt to be my own good name and credibility because it was devaluing the things that I valued, like skill, like actual communication skill and language and, you know, your reputation, all those things where some Joe Blow can come off the street at like 20 years old and go, yeah, you know, I'm part of a business. Yeah. But what, what, what value can you give and transfer? Yeah. And if that answer is, if the, if the reality is very little to none, then what kind of team are you actually building? So long story short, that kind of really, really just, you know, spiraled out of control to where I realized that it was, that was the culture of the company was just to like build in masses. But if you think about it this way, in order to, t- to, to take out our biggest enemy, which in the financial world is financial illiteracy, right? Which is, which, which is the lack of knowledge. That's kind of the, one of the biggest enemies out there and it, when it comes to the consumer. However, if you're talking about taking out big enemies, think about this. We, we as a country, we didn't send the entire damn army to take out the, the biggest known terrorist in the world, Osama, right? Bin Laden. What did they deploy? Who did they deploy? They, they deployed a team of highly skilled operators, Navy SEALs, mm. SEAL Team 6, which is the best of the best of the best. And they took about a dozen guys, okay? A dozen guys with one precision executed strike. They took out the biggest known enemy target in the world, terrorist target. And I thought to myself, wow, that's pretty much kind of how I see what we're doing. What we were doing was very, very specialized and targeted. So what I was doing was attracting more people that wanted to kind of learn what I was doing. Because what I was doing is I was that guy who was very meticulous and I would be the guy on the battlefield and I would be I would be the guy that would be the sniper and I would take one shot very calculated. It took I might have waited for half a day to get the shot, but I got one shot and then I went home. Mm-hmm. Right? And the mission was completed. Here in the financial world, um, people are I think they're they're setting themselves up for uh, an unnecessary journey of time. And like we talked about in the beginning, time is very, 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 very valuable. We have very little of it. And when you want to, if you want to compress what would normally take you five, 10 years, 15, 20 years, and you want to compress it down to just a few, what I'm saying is it's absolutely possible, but it's not for everyone. It's not for everyone. So Extreme One is born from that type of culture where we want to, well, you don't have to come in like super skilled. But if this is the road that someone wants to take and they want to be the best of the best and they want to take you know, what someone would normally take a year to earn, they can earn that in a month or in a week or in a day, right? And it's not just a self-serving business talk. We're talking about we're serving the consumer at the highest level, the highest level. I mean, if you had something wrong with your face and you had... To if you you say you got in an accident, right? Let's say you and I were to, I don't know, do something crazy together, which I'm sure we'll, we'll eventually do. Um, and then you, yeah, yeah. And then you know you got in an accident and your face was mangled. What? And let's just say you didn't die; it was mangled, and then it's all screwed up. You went to the ER, you're patched up, um, but you didn't die. And then let's say you had 
I might've used this example in our initial conversation, but let's say you go to your doctor's appointment just the following week. Cause you said, Hey, I'm, I'm able, I can go. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just going to get my, I'm just gonna go through my normal physical. And so you go and your doctor goes, Jason, uh, dude, is that you? They're going to recognize you because your face is effed up. <laughs> I don't think it would occur to you to ask your primary physician, your primary doctor who just normally takes your blood pressure, weighs you, things like that. I don't think it would ever occur to you or even me or, no, or, or any normal person to ask him, that doctor, to fix your face. Right. You know, like who would you ask? You would ask a, a, specialist, a specialist, a plastic surgeon. Right. It's, right. it's, it's kind of like common sense to us. Like, okay, if I want to fix the biggest problem that I have, I need to get the one that specializes in this versus just my general practitioner doctor, you know, yep. now when, when it comes to a business, when it comes to a business perspective, who do you think makes more money? The primary physician or the Beverly Hills, you know, plastic surgeon to reconstruct your face, kind of a no brainer. hundred percent. Yep. And, and that's how I view what we do um, with Extreme One Financial. So we've we've really, really doubled, quadrupled, 10x downed on that philosophy. I love it. And so you take somebody outside yeah. that doesn't know what they're doing to $50,000 yep. a month. Yeah. That's, yeah. That, as, that's as, kind of your, your floor, right? What, what's, what's the yeah, floor yeah, for yeah. your guys? Yeah, I would say, you know, you know, that's kind of the the upper echelons of the floor, but you know, um, I would say that someone that I have any say so in helping or training or developing, they start to see their minimum floors. This is perfect, like poetic fitting to what we're talking about right now, because you're saying mom always said, Hey, like, you know what, let's raise the floor. Um, there's no reason why your your new floor can't be 20, 30, 40, 50 K in a month. Right. Love and it. all of a sudden, when you realize that is your new floor, all of the activities and the focus and the emphasis are on the skill sets to achieve that. Mm. Because if you're not even aware that that should be your new floor, you're not, you're not spending any time developing the skills and the perspectives that you need to achieve that minimally. Awesome. Danny, so I want to talk a little bit about the coaching. How did you yeah. get into that? Yeah, you know, uh, that kind of was born out of like by accident, Jason. Uh, I I had created a name for myself in these agencies where uh, in the last agency, you know, because I everyone wanted to know what the hell I was doing, so that was that became like a like a mini like a mini like a phenom within that where everyone knew that what I was doing was completely different than what they were doing, and it was difficult for me to kind of transfer or relay what I was doing if they weren't necessarily you know, in my inner circle. Um, and I would share as much as I possibly could, but you know, that was very, very superficial. And it wasn't like I was keeping stuff away from people. It's just, if I don't, if I don't have like almost daily interaction with you and you don't see kind of the process and you think that it's just, you know, um, learning a few lines and a few closing, you know, gotcha lines, that's, that's, it's so far from reality. Um, but over time, uh, I, you know, I had since moved on and I created my own agency because I was creating a, a space where um, I didn't want to find another niche to assimilate to, right? I knew that I was part of a 
what I've created internally within my own like, you know, team, if you will, uh, it was that like the best of the best where I was training people, I was transferring what I was doing with the highest level of, of, of integrity and ethics, really serving, you know, the clients and consumers at the highest level possible, because that's really what matters. Um, and you need the best of the best kind of type of skill sets, perspective, how you show up differently is, is all that matters to get the, the, the best deliverable to someone. Um, and so that's how Dream One was born as an agency because I wanted to make sure that that same level of of um, of standard was always going to be high. And you know, when I left, um, you know, a couple of years had passed. I mean, throughout that couple of years, people were continuously reaching out to me, and it, it started off where you know people would ask me like, "Hey, you know, can you can you help me? Can I pick your brain?" And it's like. And by the way, my nature is to help. My nature is to like, sure, man. Like, yeah, you got a pen? Let me, hey, hey, record this. This is too much for you to write. I mean, I don't have much time, but record this. I would always say, hey, record this. And so people would get golden kind of nuggets, if you will. And then in, and then they would fall short because their philosophy of how they did business as a whole wasn't really correct. You know, So you can only go so far with just little fragments and pieces you know, of the, of the formula, um, I should say. So at one point, there's this one guy, um, that, you know, of the many, but he was just more persistent than others. And he was like, Hey, you know, can you, can you train me? Well, basically what would it take to learn the ninja, you know, assassin ways, the Navy seal ways of approaching this business where I can, one can actually, Build a a genuine career and and business and and solid income from you know and and um, he wasn't in a position to onboard with the agency and I understood that and I wasn't looking to onboard him either, um, but there was this kind of like middle ground like okay so what do I do like you know I kind of wanted to help him but uh, you know he wasn't it was it didn't make sense for him to kind of join the agency if you will. Um, and so that's kind of how it was born. I had thought about it and I went back and, you know, when there's a need, then you figure out how to fulfill that need or demand. And I came up with a a three month one-on-one intensive coaching program. Um, and I knew that that at least would allow me the ability to train someone. They didn't have to join my agency or anything like that. They could just, you know, come to me as a resource to develop their skill across the whole playing field from beginning to end. Cause that's not something that they were, you know, being taught. And I get guys that are, are seasoned, you know, that particular guy had been in the industry for at least, you know, what, five years or so. And, um, you know, and in our conversation, I asked him some very, very specific questions. I said, Hey, do you know what the biggest cost to your business is? And he goes, uh, I don't know. Um, I don't know, like, you know, what do you mean? <laughs> so, uh, so fast forward, I said, Hey, the biggest cost to your business is the money that you're not making. Mm. That's the biggest cost to, to your business is the money that you're not making. So I go, let me ask you, what would, what would be your monthly goal? No, don't give me some bullshit answer. Like, you know, I want to make 10 million in the next year. Like give me like a realistic, like you can stretch your realistic answer, but give me an answer that maybe can, will only take you out maybe three, four months. Because that was really the my design of my course, my program. In three, four months, where do you want to be in income? I want to be at 50,000. Oh, okay, I want to be at 40,000. Let's just say, okay, fine, 40,000. What's the highest 
you would typically earn? Well, what's the average you would earn? And I get a very, you know, a variety of answers. But this guy was like, I don't know, two grand. And I and so I'm scratching my head, Jason. I'm like, in a month? You know, like a day, or what does that mean? No, like you know, yeah, in a month. I mean, we're far. Can I just call that zero, just for for just to just just for all intents and purposes, so I can just kind of help you understand where I'm coming from? Can we just call that zero for now? He goes, okay. So if you if your goal is forty, right? If your goal is forty thousand a year, right? That means times twelve. You have a four hundred eighty thousand dollar deficit or hole in your business. Do you know why? Do you know why you're not earning four hundred eighty thousand dollars right now? And he would say things like, he was saying things like, I don't know, not enough training. I, uh, I don't think so. Because clearly you, by what you've said, you've, you basically said I, you attend all the trainings in the world, you know, right. um, well, not enough effort really, uh, seems like you're putting a lot, a lot of damn effort, maybe not in the right places, but okay. Anything else? And he, he gave me this laundry list of answers. I go, do you, there's only really one real answer. And he goes, I go, do you know what it is? And I kind of left him in suspense. And I go, there's only one answer to that question. Why it is that you're not earning forty thousand dollars a month or four hundred and eighty thousand dollars a year? Do you know why? He was like, oh, "Fine, T tell me, Danny." I go and I leaned in like this, like dramatically. I said, yeah. "Because no one's ever taught you how. <laughs> because if you knew how, you'd be doing it, right?" And he was like, "Yeah." Yeah, I said, and the person that you're getting mentorship from knew how. Don't you think he he would be teaching you how? <laughs> yeah. So what you're saying to me is, no one's ever just taught you how, right? He goes, yeah. I go, well, okay. The question is, how important is this to you, right? And so I kind of measured where his priorities were, and that's how coaching was born. And I came up with a high ticket type of coaching program, three month intensive, the, 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 the initial offer. And it, it's still kind of the same. It's evolving a little bit, but, uh, at the time it was three month coaching, high level intensive, uh, once a week we zoom. And then I absolutely will help you in between those structured zoom calls to help you close business. And I don't take a split with you at all. <laughs> right. And they're like, what? Right. And so that was a 25k. Uh, that was a 25k start out. And so the, the funny thing is, when I when I said the number, Jason, he was like, "Okay, well, what does it entail?" And I was like, "Was it was it too low?" Because you, here's a reality. Here's a reality. Because he didn't flinch. Here's a reality. If what I'm teaching you and he applies, if he applies what I'm teaching him, he can earn that back in one case, two cases, right? But the exponential value of what he's going to be learning is worth millions. Right. Right. So, right. Um, is, is, the, is, the, is the price point worth the reward? It was almost like an irresistible you know, type of offer, if you will. Right. Um, and I'm still working out the kinks on that because I know now as we, as we sit here talking today, I know that that model in the coaching is not scalable. Right. So I have, I have some exciting things coming out that I'm actually filming and I'm creating like a 10 module course for kind of a lower or mid tier type of type of program where it can be more available to, you know, um, the masses, you know, that want to specialize in this industry, um, in advanced markets, um, retirement savings, insurance, um, and, and it's going to evolve from there. So I'm actually working on some pretty big things. Um, I love it. Yeah, I love right it. Now. And I, I love what um, 
I love that a that you that you did that. I, I think that just serving people in general. I mean, the whole premise of this whole podcast is you and serving people, and I love that. Yeah, that is a mission. That's something that I think that you and I are very similar on. Like, it's just such, it's one of those things that, you know, some people have it like ingrained in their soul where it's like yeah. that there's something that you, there's an intangible that you get from doing that. And right. I love that. Uh, what I love about that uh, going into that was that you threw out that number and you know, <laughs> a lot of people just don't have the balls to, you know, be able, but you're also providing value. A uh, tremendous. I mean, yeah. quite honestly, it's worth. Uh, I mean, I would like. I mean, if I were to recalibrate that price price point, I'm like, I'm underpriced, um, because it's not like some. It's not like bait and switch one on one group. It, it is one on one. Like I am crawling up your, you know what, and I'm and I'm going over what I call the three P's, which is positioning, process, and profitability. And if, and I, 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 there's no stone left unturned. I, I literally figure out like how you position yourself, how you show up, what it is that, what's the perception of you to the marketplace? Because let's, let's face it. Perception is reality. Right. 100%. Right. And how people perceive you is what's actually happening. And if people are seeing you as some sleazy insurance sales guy, they're going to avoid you every single time and they're never going to tell you that to your face right i will yeah i will so if someone really wants to learn the truth about where they're at and they humble themselves mm. to really be honest with where they're at because we're going to go we're going to dive deep down into the truth so that we can build upon truth and honesty and where you're really at versus where you think you're at love it so how can people uh you know, if they're interested in, yeah. in any of your services or just yeah, yeah. follow you. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, we have a, we have a, we have a website for, um, really it's a landing page as well for, for coaching. It's extreme one coaching.com with no E in front. So it's X T R E M E the number one coaching.com. That's the coaching side. And again, that's evolving as we speak. So, um, you know, uh, bottom line, I mean, if someone really wants it to, to take that offer up, they can, they will, I am confident they will transform forever the way they see how they do business, um, which will pay off, you know, like 10, 20, 30, 40 X as far as income. Um, and then on the, for the agency side, we have our, um, our website, which is, um, the same extreme one. So X T R E M E the number one financial.com. So extreme one, the number one financial.com. And it the website if you if someone visits it visits it uh, visits the website um, you can take your most finicky most skeptical high value you know person skeptical client whoever and they can see that the site is really value based it is not it's serving them and what they're potentially looking for um, and the agency's motto or mission is something that I teach also within the coaching program um, is the value that we bring and the specialty that we have is an acronym that I tokened a while ago. It's called ERFT, and that stands for Helping People Eliminate Risk, Fees, and Taxes, right? In how they save money and how they park it. And it's a very unique proposition then. Oh, yeah, well, you want some life insurance? Yeah. That's not what I do. It's not what I do, <laughs> right? So, and then um, uh, social media-wise, 
someone can find me at um, Instagram uh, at Danny Singson one. So my first and last name, Danny Singson, and then the number one on, uh, on Instagram. And then just, you know, uh, Danny Singson on Facebook as well. So super awesome, man. Well, I'm, I'm excited to follow your journey into uh, more coaching yeah. and um, just more service. And I'd love, I'd, can't wait to watch your agency grow even more. I cannot believe the numbers that you and your agents have done over the last year and a half, uh, multiple seven figures. So dude, kudos to you and, and keep grinding and man. So I appreciate fun. it. <laughs> I appreciate it, brother. Cool. Well, we yeah. appreciate, uh, I appreciate you being on here, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. It was a pleasure to be on and I look forward to, uh, kind of hanging out and, and exchanging some good old bro time, man, at some 100%. point. 100%.